Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Ling. I'm a designer, artist, and creative technologist. And I was originally trained as an architect. My work spans across many fields. In my work as part of a collective in Umbrellium, we work with cities, local authorities, and communities to design and build urban technology for cities, what we would have called um, smart cities many years ago. It ranges from large-scale interactive installation that activate thousands of people to join in, reinventing school infrastructure to encourage children to take better care of their environment, to even rethinking road system that puts people's safety first before vehicles. I also work as a co-artistic director and curator in an arts organization called Kakilang, where I work with East and Southeast Asian communities and produce work by East and Southeast Asian artists in the UK. In my own practice, I work with communities around the world, in Asia, Europe, to Africa, and collaborate with organizations and NGOs to engage people of all ages and background to co-create participatory projects using technologies to help them make sense and express their relationship with their environment, and in some cases, act on complex urban issues such as climate change, public safety, and air quality issues. The outcome ranges from tech toolkits, interactive installation, performances, to even pop-up architecture. Now, a common thread runs across all the works that I do across the different sectors, and it's about structuring participation to get groups of people to work together towards a common goal that they think would benefit them in the long run, towards collective action. Collective action is, a very, is very important, especially in the context of the climate emergency, where we are already experiencing drastic change in our weather system, especially this summer. It alters the way we interact with our environment and with each other, and this has changed our relationship to the future, and the majority of us now know that something has to change. What, we've experienced, what we have experienced during COVID, where the notion of cooperation is tested on so many levels, politically, racially, and even neighborly, challenge our assumption that human can be altruistic as a species. The challenge with collective action is that everyone knows that if everyone collectively act together, things will change. But the fact is, not everyone will be acting towards the same goal at the same time for many, many reasons. It could be political, it could be religious, personal, to even emotional. So how do we create a wise cities that might work for everyone? I think we first need to understand why people want to participate, who gets to make decisions for them about the way they should live, and who gets to be included in a collective action. And I'm going to expand a little bit with some of my work. In my own practice, I always try to return to first principle when it comes to involving people in projects. Why do people want to participate in my project? As a participant, why do, what's the incentive to giving out a portion of my time in my life to participate in your project? And what do I get out of it by participating in it? It's a very important question for us as designers, especially when the practice of placemaking has become a common tool for developers and architects now. How do we create a sense of home and ownership for people living in a city? In 2021, during the height of COVID, I was commissioned by a housing developer, Barking Riverside, to develop a project during the lockdown that will get residents living in this new urban development in East London to know each other and work together. 
The project I developed took place over half a year and took almost a year to come into fruition with lots of planning. And it involves getting 100 families to grow 400 large pots of plants in their own homes, using plants as color pixels to construct a large-scale image installation of an image that is designed and chosen by themselves, made out of plants that they grow at home. The project is part digital, part physical, where participants design the image and coordinate the growing of their plants via an interactive website that connects all of them together. They share growing tips, get help from plant experts, and monitor the growth of their image through photo taking. And at the end of the project, they then came together to assemble the image themselves, placing their plants in the image pixel location they have chosen beforehand to construct this collective image that marks the opening of a new ecology center in their new neighborhood. The project was an experiment and a huge risk for the developer, where they have no idea as to whether people are going to show up to assemble the final image after half a year of working remotely together. And what was interesting was, in the end, we have 100% full attendance for the assembly. And most of their feedback was that they were able to see their effort clearly in the image, and that became a huge motivation to participate. The project taps into the human desire to care for things, bonding them to the project and to each other through nurturing plants, something that is popular during lockdown. And to me, this project works because it is very specific in the time and place because of people's desire for interaction during the lockdown. And the project also shows the need to design participation contextually, and time is as important as the place itself if you want people to really participate in it. In my work in Umbrellian, working with cities and local authorities, I've learned that when urban technology is implemented unilaterally without involving the people most impacted by it, you will most likely not get substantial uptake in the long run. And it's pretty evident in the fight against air pollution in cities. For example, in the UK, for many years since the early 2010s, government has funded tech companies to install air quality sensors all around different parts of the UK. While it's effective in telling us that the air is bad, it does not give back the sense of agency to people that they need to act now. Air is invisible, it affects all of us, but tackling it holistically takes all of us making tough decisions about the way we live and interact with each other. I've been working on a series of air quality projects in Umbrellium for the past few years, where we try to explore ways to harness collective action to tackle air quality issues hyperlocally at neighborhood level. Here, we work with a data scientist and local authorities in East London and other parts of UK and Europe to use machine learning algorithm and a set of low-tech IoT wearables to get more than 200 residents to go out into their, no, in, sorry, into their own neighborhoods to record data about their own perception of air quality in different locations. They then compare the data they have collected to open air quality data sets and mobile air quality sensors data. And what was interesting was, in most instances, a people's perception of air is as accurate up to 75% compared to any machines. Part of the experiment involved participants committing to long-term changes in their everyday life, from simple acts such as walking to work to cutting down red meat consumption. And as observed by most of the participants themselves, knowing that they are able to tell when the air is bad helped them develop an acute sensitivity to the air in their environment, and they are more motivated and committed to changing their everyday life to improve the issues for a long period. These are important learnings for local authorities, where, in their own words, 
winning the hearts and minds of citizens are important. And it's important especially when implementing any leg legislation which is the most impactful, which sometimes takes a very long time. And this also shows that when people are able to take accountability of their own actions, they are more able to act without passively waiting for a solution. In recent years, the word community is very widely used, especially in the arts and design industry, to imply just about any groups of people that can be grouped together because of their background or where they live. And it's also sometimes used quite commonly in activism and movements, where the word community gives a sense of solidarity. But who gets to be included in the community? In my work in Kakilang, working with East and Southeast Asians and cultural institutions in the art sector, I've learned that the vast difference in each and every one of us because of our political, religious, cultural belief to even the way we cook and eat our food means that it is extremely hard and take efforts to, make, to get people to work together. For instance, in the climate movement in the UK and Europe, the perspective and approach can be seen to be predominantly white and quite often does not include everyone, especially Asians. I've recently been working on an environmental project that tries to dispel this stereotype by getting a large group of East and Southeast Asians in the UK, from young people to senior elderly, to experiment with cooking low-carbon Asian food through collaboration with acclaimed Asian food writers and, uh, and data scientists. Participants explore the data science of food, looking at the carbon footprint of farming, industrial processes, sourcing ingredients, to even cooking techniques to derive at a set of low-carbon recipes based on some of the most popular Chinese dishes in the UK. The low-carbon recipes were then shared online and prepared for 200 members of the public in a series of sit-down meals uh, hosted publicly in a flat-pack pop-up structure that is made of low-carbon materials designed through collaboration with structural engineers and architects. The pop-up was installed in the heart of Chinatown in London as part of London Design Festival, and this pop-up structure acts as a public statement on our East and Southeast Asian commitment to tackling the climate crisis with everyone. As a Chinese Asian living in the UK myself, it often feels like we are not associated with the climate movement, but we are, we are often associated with countries like China, who's seen as a big pollution source by many Western countries. And very seldom people would think that our Asian food culture, one of the most popular in Europe, can play a part in tackling the climate crisis because they generally associate our food with imported products. But that's not the case. And the project tries to prove otherwise and that our food can be inherently low in carbon footprint when you consume it in Europe and the UK. The interesting thing about this project is, I think for some people, it might sound like a good project carrying out by people who share similar identities. But the challenge with this project is on many folds. And one of the challenges that I found is this very assumption that because we are seen as one community, we are supposed to act the same way. And that is not true. Not diving into the details because of the time that I have, but just imagine putting a group of people from China, from Hong Kong, from Taiwan, in the same room and getting them to talk about something. You can imagine how stressful and dangerous that might be. <laughs> so, and it's not even including Chinese diaspora from Singapore and Malaysia, or even Japan and Korea. So there's a lot of things happening where, you know, the politics of so many things happening within what we call that community of East and Southeast Asians. The project manages to get beyond politics and instead focus for, uh, on our love for food the joy of eating together as a communal activity and a cultural infrastructure, 
and also a possible tool for activism in tackling climate crisis. But never underestimate the effort it takes to get a group of people to work together towards a common goal, even if it's about changing their own future. So, how do we create a wise city that might work for everyone? My frequent collaborator, Usman Haq, has written and spoken at large about embracing the messiness in order to make cities work for everyone. And I think we first need to understand the messiness of our own city by getting ourselves messy in it too. Keep prototyping and experimenting with getting people involved in your project or doing something together. Not just your families or friends, but people out of your comfort zone, people you have never met before, and learn why they are different from you. And once you understand that everyone is unique from each other, and to agree here, and, and we should be able to agree on here, is that it's okay to disagree with each other and still work together. I think that is where participation and collective action can begin. Thank you.